Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Great to have you back. My name's Simon Alicia. A special episode today. We're going to have a, a conversation, an interview, a discussion. I'm very fortunate to be joined by Abby Fuller, who is involved in DevOps at a company called Airtime. Welcome to the show, Abby. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. So this is where you know we're connecting coasts here because I'm located in a, a very far coast in Australia, and it's the morning, and you're over there in in New York, I believe. I am. It's six p.m. here. Beautiful. We love this globalized world that we live in. So, <laughs> so Abby has kindly come on to join us to talk about um, some of the work that they've been doing at, at Airtime with AWS. But first, what is Airtime, Abby? So, Airtime is like a new kind of social platform. So, if I, so we're actually a good example right now. So, if if my friend is in Australia and I'm in New York and we can't hang out in person, what's kind of the next best thing? So it's all about how can I share like real moments in real time with my real friends. So for us, that might be that we're listening to a Spotify track together or watching a YouTube video together. So it should feel like we're in the same room hanging out, even if we can't actually be there together physically. So that is a, a classic, uh, I guess, goal of information technology and technology in general, that classic sort of bringing people closer and experiencing things in real time. And then when I use the phrase in real time, that's when most IT professionals recoil in horror at the <laughs> challenges of, of latency and complexity and scale and surge traffic, et cetera. Share with us what you can about your journey in building this system and systems and the things you keep in mind and some of the challenges you face and some of the things you've used. So we're, we're pretty heavy AWS users. I think from an architectural standpoint, really the, the big things for us, so you, you kind of hit the big, the big challenge, right? Which is how can we deliver the fastest experience possible to our users? So if, if, if my whole goal is, a, is an app where I should feel like I'm chatting with you, even if we're not in the same room, it should really feel like real-time communication. So if we're sitting on the couch together in my apartment, there's no, like, there's no buffering between our conversation. There's no lag. There's none of that. Uh, so for us, being able to scale up to hit traffic and then also to be able to distribute that traffic properly is really important. So we auto-scale everything. And then it's also really important for us to do the whole multi-availability zone and multi-region thing. So if I'm in New York and you're in Australia, then we shouldn't, your requests or how you're streaming the video shouldn't be kind of bouncing everything through New York. We should be able to go through Australia. Um, so we use, we're pretty heavy CloudFront users. Uh, we're actually using the new CloudFront methods as well. Um, so we put as many things as possible behind CloudFront to let the edges help us out with that. And then multi-zone, multi-region and then multi-availability zone for everything possible. So uh, we run everything in ECS, so Amazon's container service. Um, so we do that and then we balance our, we balance our requests on, on that end, um, in, in a bunch of different availability zones. And then our media infrastructure is, is multi-region as well. Fantastic. So you've used one of those primary design patterns of bringing the data or the serving as close to the user as possible. Get it as close um, as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. And lots of resiliency and scale. So, so when we talk about scale, um, one of the things I like to ask people when they talk about, well, Hey, I use auto scaling, um, what are the metrics that you have chosen to autoscale on? What works for your application? So it actually kind of depends on what part of the application we're talking about. Um, so for a lot of them, so we scale with, with ECS, a little bit of background, I guess. So we scale on two levels. So we scale on what the cluster itself needs. So that might be something like CPU or memory. Um, but we also scale at the service level. And since we run a microservices-oriented architecture, 
uh, we can just scale little pieces all at once. So some services might scale off the length of unread messages in a queue. So we do a producer-consumer architecture also. So services can produce messages, drop them onto the queue, and then other services can subscribe to those events and pull them off the queue. So we might scale some services on whether there's unread messages or not. We might scale some whether they're on CPU usage. It, it kind of depends on the service. And we've been able to kind of get that flexibility with with the with the ECS service scaling plus the actual cluster level auto scaling. So we can scale the cluster itself up when we need more resources and then scale the little services when we need a little bit of oomph behind them. That's great. And it's, I think it's important for people to remember that, you know, when, when we talk about auto scaling, people often just look at it as, Hey, I'll just, I'll just uh, alert on CPU or maybe network traffic or something like that, but we can be, both granular and different between the different services. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's important to <laughs> be able to scan those. Yeah, we have custom ones. And it's it's important to kind of get all those pieces because they're all good for different things, right? Like I want to scale for my whole cluster when I need more of something, when I've reached out my limits. And so we have, I think, like a lot of messaging apps, we have like 10 times more peak traffic than we do at like slow point traffic. So we need to be able to scale up and down really fast, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should scale up our whole cluster. It might need that we need, might mean that we need a couple more containers of just one service. Uh, And this, this brings up probably an interesting point here is you you mentioned a few magic words. You mentioned microservices, which no doubt got people's ears pricked up. And you also (laughs) mentioned containers. So, so you're officially very cool. And and we mentioned DevOps as well. So you're, you're totally on trend. (laughs) Now we just need to do no ops or serverless and I'd be the queen of acronyms. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. Correct. So tell us about your decision around microservice architecture. Did you start that way? Did you evolve where the containers fit in? So we evolved. So when I joined Air time maybe a year and eight months ago um they they had a monolith and it was for a different beta product but i we got there and we looked at it and we said okay here's what we have now what don't we like about it and and how could we make those things better and we we really we sat down and it took all of us and we said okay so here's what we don't like and it took us what we found is that the pain points for developers are really that Everything was really inconsistent. So if I, my local environment was not the same as my friend's Nate local environment, and it was not the same as Bobby's local environment, none of those things were consistent. And then staging and production weren't consistent. And it was really slow to deploy because you had to find one of a handful of people. And then on top of that, once you even got it deployed, it's really hard to debug. So if I pushed a change like once or twice a week, and it affected this giant monolith of spaghetti code, it's really hard to pinpoint what exactly went wrong. And what we, what we ended up with is we had a bunch of really heavily customized servers all running this one application because we still needed that redundancy, that it was slow to deploy, it was slow to develop, so our velocity was bad. And then it was, it was really hard to debug issues and deal with them effectively on staging or production. So we sat down and we said, okay, here's what we don't like. How can we make that better? And we came up with a kind of a couple goals that we really wanted. So we wanted no bottleneck deployments. So everyone should be empowered to deploy. We should have consistent environments all the way from local to staging to production to be really easy to troubleshoot. Uh, so what we ended up with, the, the solution for us was containers hosted on Amazon's ECS. So the container part is that once you've broken it up into microservices, you it's really a lot easier to, for us to find out what exactly has gone wrong. So if I deploy now like four or five, six times a day, I can, I can pretty much tie that change back to a 
build number in our continuous integration system to a commit on GitHub. Um, and if I, with the container part, I can use that same container locally for a dev, mel- a, a dev environment on staging and then deploy it to production. It's the same code in its own little atomic box. So for us, we kind of checked off all those boxes using, using microservices and containers. So that's, a, the, I guess, a great example of the classic reason why people move to that architecture. But with all architectures, there's no architectural-free lunch. And you mentioned, you know, with that model, you can see which little change has made a difference, et cetera. Um, monitoring and alarming and alerting becomes far more complicated when you move away from a monolith. How did you tackle some of that stuff? So we kind of monitor at a couple levels. So we monitor a lot of stuff through Amazon because we get some of that stuff uh, for free through ECS. Um, uh, so we use, we use some CloudWatch and then we have some CloudWatch alarms uh, that either trigger events or they go to pager duty. Um, from, from the actual container level, we use Sumo Logic for application level logs and then New Relic for kind of key transactions and actual instrumentation and stuff like that. Uh, we run both Sumo Logic and New Relic from the cluster host itself. So we, we launch them in user data. So when a new member of the cluster spins up, the two things that it really starts at launch, other than the ECS agent, uh, to connect to the cluster in the first place is our new relic agent and our Sumo Logic agent. And Sumo Logic runs in a container. All of our applications, uh, dump their messages using the, the syslog log driver for Docker. Uh, they push them back to var log messages on the host and then Sumo Logic Basically, it just follows that var log messages file on the host and then pushes them back up to the Sumo Logic site. Uh, and the reason that we ended up going with the syslog var log messages approach is that we, we really wanted logs for everything because we were a pretty early stage startup. So everything is important for us. Uh, and what we found is that we wanted to know anything that happened. So if a container didn't start up properly or failed really quickly, we wanted to know why. And this way, we've kind of dumped the logs right onto the host where we know they're not going anywhere. And then they get pushed up to syslog, uh, to sumo logic from syslog so that even when that host is replaced, because we still do auto scale and rotate through things pretty quickly, uh, we, we know that we have all the logs that we need. That's fantastic. And you, you raise a good point about logging everything. Um, I'm a firm believer that you really can't log too much because uh, storage is relatively cheap. The services that are available to, to store your logs are, are good and are very highly searchable. So uh, you never know what you're going to need to look into to fix a problem. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things where I'd always rather have more than less, that I'd rather get a bunch of information that I didn't necessarily care about as long as I can filter on that effectively and that I can then make an informed decision later down the line and said, actually, okay, you know what? This didn't need to go to pager duty. And I now know that because I have the log messages for it and I'll know, okay, you know what? We don't need to log this as an actual error. Maybe it's a warn instead. And that way I let everyone know the first time and then I can make a decision on that instead of just like, well, I'm not really sure what's going on. And I turned all these logs off because they were really noisy and now it's 3 a.m. And now, now what? Instead, I'd rather empower people to be able to look at the data themselves and kind of figure out what they need. Exactly. Well, well, welcome to DevOps, isn't it? It's like I actually have data that I can I can make just based on and automate myself out of a job, which is kind of the kind of the role to some extent. It's kind of cool though. It's it's one of those things where I I never feel like I'll automate myself out of the whole job. You just automate yourself out of parts of it, and then you can just keep improving on the parts you haven't gotten to yet. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm sure many of our listeners are listening and going. 
Yeah, that's that's really cool. You've got you know data going to the edge. You've got streaming data. You've got real time. You've overcome some latency issues, but we haven't spoken about persistence of data. So you know, user sessions, session management, other types of more persistent type things. How have you guys tackled that problem domain? So we do actually use like Mongo and Redis for the stuff that we can't just kind of get rid of on the fly. Um, so with those, with, with some of our external things, and this is something that I think there's, there's probably a lot of different approaches for this. Um, I, I think we have two levels of things where persistence really matters. And for the things like Mongo or Redis, so actual user data, for example, that we care about, that like here are, here are your 10 favorite rooms or here are your top eight friends if we're going to throw it back to, to MySpace days. For that, we have Mongo and we connect to stuff like that through environment variables like we would to another host. Um, so we can take care of that kind of from the cluster itself. Uh, we've sharded, sharded our Mongo cluster. Uh, we have Redis using ElastiCache and AWS. Um, I think there's a second level of persistence, really. And for us, that's like the WebSocket part. Um, and we do that by using allocator services. Um, so it doesn't really matter which one I connect to. But which I've, when, once I've started connecting, I want to make sure that I'm connecting to the same one. Um, so we end up spinning up host names. Uh, so... We have a. We actually use Lambda for this, but basically, when we when we auto scale up and down, and we have like a new host name, uh, we use a Lambda function to create the Route 53 entry, so that clients can just talk uh, to our allocator service that way instead of having to connect to like a container or something directly. Fantastic! So a little bit of indirection there to uh, to improve the experience. Yeah. Fantastic! Fantastic! So, Abby, where do people find? Airtime. I mean, how do they how they use it? Is a is it is it app web everywhere? Um, so we are give on, me the sales pitch. <laughs> so we are on iOS <laughs> and Android right now. Um, I believe with web coming super soon, um, you can get it on the App Store or you can get it on the Play Store. Um, honestly, I think it's I think it's really cool. And I think when maybe the the biggest thing that I can say about about airtime is that it's it's the friends that really make the experience. So. If I go onto a social app, I'm not going to have a, a great time hanging out by myself. But where the magic really happens is when I can share that experience for with, with, with my friends. And it was really cool. And I remember actually really clearly on our on the day that we launched this, calling a friend that I used to work with uh, in the UK. And it it honestly it, it is it's really like being in the same room. And there's like there's bonus points. It's it's actually it's kind of like both being in the same room on your phone, right? That I can. I can show a GIF or I can show a YouTube video and we can watch it together. But it's really about sharing an experience and not experiences shared. So rather than me text you a bunch of photos or a link to a Spotify song, let's do it together. Let's feel like we're really sitting in the couch in the apartment. So I think it's a, it's a really cool app, but it's, it's your friends that are what make it really cool. So if you're going to sign up, definitely bring some friends with you. Bring some friends. Oh, that's fantastic. Abby, thanks so much for sharing some uh some details have been really illuminating. Yeah, thanks so much for and, having uh, me. And thanks for bringing us some some real time background noise from New York. So uh, we heard <laughs> you are the sirens going by. Fire so trucks, that was authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Super authentic. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And everyone, as, as always, we love your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to find us. And until next time, keep on building.